it's weird. It's weird. And just to normalize the fact that it's okay that it feels weird and it's okay to have arguments with roommates or not be sure what you're going to do with your classes or, you know, people who've gone through that and taken different paths is invaluable to helping people and not feel alone. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Wellness Project, a Collegiate Ministries podcast. I am Heather Pancoast, and I am so happy to be here today um, with my friend Kelly. She's going to introduce herself to you in just a second. Um, If you have not tuned into one of our podcasts, this is your first time. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Um, I am one of the campus ministry directors at the Gator Wesley Foundation, which is the campus ministry at the University of Florida and Santa Fe College. Um, And I'm going to ask Kelly to take a second to introduce herself to you guys. All right. Thank you, Heather. Hi, my name is Kelly Minter, and I am a mental health counselor um, in the school district actually near me and also have a private practice that I do when I'm not at school. But I was also in youth ministry for over 20 years in local churches and with the Florida Conference with um, youth leadership opportunities. Awesome. How do you have time to do all that? <laughs> I sleep a lot. Yeah, yeah, for real, for real. Well, thank you so much for taking time to be here and to talk with us about mental health and mental wellness. Um, today, we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about how we can serve, others can serve um, as a support structure for folks that are actually on the journey of finding mental wellness. So that might be parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, youth directors, campus ministers, pastors, um, you know, adults in youth ministry, teachers, all kinds of folks that actually are the support structure that, that surrounds someone when they're going through um, the journey of um, of finding mental wellness and wholeness in their lives. So I'm super excited to hear your answer to the first question. We've been asking everybody that we've interviewed this same first question. It's been really cool just to hear their take on it. So I'll ask you the same question, which is why does talking about mental health matter in campus ministry? Um, I think it matters in all areas, but I think specifically in campus ministry, especially it's important because people are very much on their own for the first time in a lot of ways. And that is where all of the things that you've sort of pushed off to the side or ignored or been way too busy to deal with tends to come up. Um, Insecurities, confusion about your past, about where you're going. Um, There's so much pressure put on the years of, of college um, either, you know, 12 years of building up to it and all of this, like, it's going to be the best time of your lives. And in a lot of ways it is, and it can be, but it's not the only time of your lives. And it's this very, um, just a very liminal time, but it's long. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just, it tends to kind of, um, really get people in the, in the areas that they maybe haven't delved into and they have, they have to find their support structure to be able to be safe to do that. And for a lot of them, that takes a while to get that safe place Mm -hmm. um, to do any of that. And it kind of hits you as soon as you're there that you need to do those things. And then, yeah, Yeah. things can get really real very fast. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it, it reminds me, I had a student say to me the other day that she realized that everyone surrounding her in her life now that she's a freshman in college were all people her age. And she's like, because I asked her, she asked to meet with me and I asked her, you know, was there any particular reason? She's like, no, I just need some adults in my life. I've like lost that support structure that my coaches, my teachers, my, you know, parents aren't here every day. And so she said, I just need some adults in my life. And I thought that was really wise to recognize what a, what a season of change this is, especially in terms of if you're lucky enough to have that support structure, you kind of leave it you know, when you move out and come go away to school. Well, how would you describe Kelly, the importance of having that support structure, the the importance of people walking alongside individuals as they're working on mental wellness in their lives? Well, I think, especially for the reason that you just said about the girl who wanted to meet with you, the recognition of how significant it is to have people who are in different places in their lives and have maybe taken different paths. Um, and, and, you know, are doing at different varying levels of okay, just seeing that it's okay to not have it all figured out and okay to need to rely on people for things. It doesn't make you less and it doesn't make you, um, you know, not a grown up or it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not problematic. So having people who are at different, different times of their life around you during that can help to normalize all of the things that feel abnormal about that Mm -hmm. time in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, All of the things that you maybe are dealing with for the first time or thinking about for the first time or seeing for the first time. There are colleges in general will pull a lot of different people together and put them in a very not um, comfortable sometimes living situation because you're living on top of each other very very quickly without knowing each other. And that's just it's weird. It's weird. And just to normalize the fact that it's okay, that it feels weird. And it's okay to have arguments with roommates or not be sure what you're going to do with your classes or, you know, people who've gone through that and taken different paths is invaluable to helping people to not feel alone. Mm -hmm. Mm Because that can be very, very lonely and very isolating to feel like, you look around and you think everybody's got it all together and they don't. <laughs> None of us do. We're just doing what we can, but you, it looks like they do. So having that comfort and that trust with people as soon as possible, mm-hmm. if not, you know, already going into it, um, really does make all the difference for making people know that they're not alone. And again, normalizing all of the things because all of the things are very normal. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love that. Um, I don't love it because it's not good, but I appreciate you pointing out the fact that we think and we look around and we think, man, everyone has it all together, but really no one does. Like we're all just faking it till we make it. And, you know, I think especially given our context here at a school like UF, it's so big and there's so many people that I think it's taken for granted often that it will be super easy to find people to connect to and a community. Um, I often think sometimes the bigger schools are a little harder um, because there's so many options and it can be really, really overwhelming to determine kind of how to connect someplace. And and I know that this will be listened to by folks all over the country and in different sized schools and communities. Um, and I think there's challenges everywhere, um, but it is, it's really easy to play that comparison game and to think, well, they've all have it figured out. They've got friend groups. I don't. And just to kind of sit in that, and that's, it's really hard, really hard. 
So thinking about kind of those of us that do play that support role, those of us that are in, and that's really anybody, right? It's, it, it can be, you, you can be supporting a friend, you can be supporting a sibling, a, a child, a, a loved one. What are some of the pitfalls um, that you see folks in that supportive role falling into um, that sometimes potentially could cause more harm than good in the life of somebody who's walking through a, a wellness journey? So I wish that I could say I didn't see this in professionals also, but I do. Um, I think it's maybe maybe there's some things that are built in that professionals can catch themselves on at some point. But a lot of it is um, sort of trying to live out how your journey, you wish your journey had been in the life of somebody that you're supporting. And it comes from a very typically a very kind and nurturing place, but it's it's not appropriate because it's their life. Um, and so that I see that a lot, you know, whether it's parents or, um, siblings, you know, usually people older than the person Mm -hmm. that they're talking to, they're trying to correct the things that they wish had been corrected for them in their journey earlier. So there's that, um, there's also the danger of wanting to, it's a heady thing for somebody to trust you mm-hmm. and for someone to come to you for advice and ask you for help for things. And there's a very fine line to walk between wanting to be a supportive person in someone's life and wanting to direct their life or wanting to be the person that they would credit for having their life go better, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen that too, which is disturbing um, when I see that in professionals because I would hope that they would be, you know, able to not do that, but we're all human. Like, you know, we're all human and we're dealing with it, but there's a lot of, especially when you care about somebody, you want to save them from harm and you want to save them from, or stop any hurt that you can stop. But we don't learn when we don't hurt. And when we make, people have to be able to make their own mistakes. And I think that for me, the changeover from youth pastor to therapist that was the biggest thing that I needed to stop doing because as someone's therapist, there's a lot of things I can't do in their lives that I could do as their youth pastor, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So that was a big change for me, but also remembering that I have no control over anybody but myself. And so as someone who is a helper in people's lives, you still can't make their decisions for them. And supporting them means supporting them whether the decisions are good or bad. You know, it means loving them as they are, not only when they do the things that you want them to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. It's a great point. And I think there's something to be said, too, about recognizing, you know, boundaries. And like you were just talking a little bit about the boundary difference between a therapist and a and a youth director. And I think, too, you know, we we're doing an episode um, where we talk about addictions and, you know, recognizing when a person's behavior has become harmful to you as a supporter and having to create boundaries there to protect yourself. I mean, that could be like a whole nother podcast, right? A whole nother series probably is. I think Dr. Henry Cloud wrote a whole book on it. Um, so, you know, just recognizing when um, we've said, you know, this is this is what we hope for you. We can't control. I mean, you're so right. Um, but then also recognizing if that behavior is starting to impact us as the loved one or the encourager in a negative way, how do we create boundaries to help the person and not hurt, get hurt ourselves. And that's really hard when you love someone. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think you, people need to see you do that. You know, like people, 
people that you are helping or that you're coming alongside or that you're guiding in any way, they need to see you make boundaries and say no to things mm-hmm. and put space and margin in your life because how else are they going to know to mm-hmm. do it if they don't see someone else do it? Yep. Like, yeah. Well, and I heard, I heard a, um, an image today that I loved and, and they talked about how it's, it's great to have a support system. It's great to have one person that you can talk to, but it's better to have four. And they use this idea of a trampoline and that if you jump from the top of a, you know, a, um, a tree and you hit the trampoline and only one person's holding the trampoline up, you're going to squash them. And if you're, if you're constantly going to that one person over and over again, you might squash them <laughs> emotionally, metaphorically. Um, but if you have four people, better if you have eight people and you can utilize that support structure, um, then you've got more support. You've, they can hold up that trampoline when you jump. Um, and I just thought that was a great image in my mind because I, I know I do tend to have those that, those one persons or those one, that one person that I always go to. I'm going to squash them if I don't give them a break. <laughs> so, well, what are some ways maybe you can give us like the top three ways um, that we can be or that people can be a positive support system for a friend or family member or member of their youth group or campus ministry? So if we are talking about um, a minor, it's different from someone who's an adult, right? Um, There are things that I think you can be transparent about in your life with young adults uh, differently than you can be with minors. So there's, it's important to know which one we're talking about, right? Um, So if we're talking about specifically campus ministry and specifically young adults, Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to say, I mean... Let's be real. There's a world of difference between a freshman in college and a, and a senior in high school, but there's also a world of difference between a senior in college and a freshman in college, right? There's so much that happens in somebody's life in those years. And so, um, yeah, there's transparency is always good, but transparency with appropriate boundaries is the way to do it. Um, you know, like being helping people be aware that, especially if you're somebody in a leadership role in someone's life, often they're going to think that your life is pretty great. And that's great. If you find, if you have joy in your life, you should be sharing that joy, but it's also okay to be working on things in your life, you know, um, normalizing that. So the, the transparency I think is important, but within boundaries. And I think that's important across the board age wise. Um, I think another thing is, it's kind of, I mean, this might kind of go along with transparency, honestly, but when it comes down to being honest about how you got where you are and what you are doing to, I'm somebody who believes that you should never stop being a learner about yourself and about the world around you. And so sharing that personal curiosity and the curiosity about the world, I think is really important for people to be able to see. And, um, and yeah, boundaries in the other way of, of not being a hundred percent available all of the time for people, um, maybe being more of a connector than the person someone goes to all the time. So having some resources available, having some people they can go to, if you feel like it's sort of draining your bucket a little more than you can afford, um, having those resources and helping to be a partner and helping someone to get the resources Mm -hmm. is also another way. That's great. That's a great suggestion. Well, I want to transition a little bit. I mean, this isn't a huge pivot, but, uh, and, and speak specifically just about the church and mental health. Um, you know, we, that we are, um, 
hopefully always being learners, like you said. Um, and so I, you know, I think there's probably some ways the church has gotten it right um, and some ways the church has gotten it wrong. So talk to us a little bit about your experience um, in terms of the church and its um, interaction with mental health and mental wellness. So I have um, quick personal plug. I have a YouTube channel that I do a lot with things like religious, um, religious, religious trauma, but also in general, like how the church deals with mental health and that sort of thing is part of one of the things that I deal with on that channel because it is so widespread. People have had interactions with churches that have basically um, encouraged the idea that mental health is a lack of faith. And if you have enough faith, you will not have any mental health problems, which is a lie. That's not true. Um, and it's, it's a hurtful lie. I think, I think in my experience, many churches are coming away from that and starting to understand. And I think a lot of that is in leadership. I think when leaders are honest about Mm -hmm. going to therapy, about taking time off, appropriate amounts of time off, taking their sabbaticals, if they have that built in to their structure, um, different denominations handle it in different ways. And I do think in general, what I've seen across the board in churches, denominations aside, is once the leadership gets real about their expectations for their other leaders mm. um, about about that sort of thing, about having accountability and um, providing free of cost and free of repercussions, mental health services for their leadership, like normalizing all of those things. That's where I've seen the churches individually and denominationally do the best pivot away from sort of where we used to be many, many, many years ago. We thought mental health problems were demons. Mm. And, you know, that's not what it is. And that's not what it is. It never has been what it was. That's where what we thought it was. But now we have so much information available to us that there's really not it really comes back to busting the stigma and that has to start with the leadership. Um, again, normalizing, making available support and mental health, mental health services, um, talking, you know, if you're, if you're in charge of a group of people that gathers regularly talking once a month or every other month, making your topic be a mental health based topic, you can repeat the same thing multiple different times. People are going to get different things from it, but you know, the fact is like Jesus prioritized his connections with God and Mm -hmm. with those who were going to be the best for him emotionally too, you know, like he did that too. There's no reason for us to not be doing this except, um, I think fear. And I think that fear gets dispelled when people talk about it. Mm Yeah. Um, and I, and I appreciate, I mean, the, the destigmatization of, of mental health generally, I think is getting much better as a, as a culture and as a, as a society. Um, and it, it just has to be something we continue to talk about um, and continue to put in the front, um, of all, all people, all ages, all, um, all folks have a, a wellness journey, um, no matter where it begins and where it ends. So, um, so thinking specifically about church, staff or campus ministry staff, um, pastors, what would be something that you would want to make sure that they heard um, about how they in their role can specifically support 
members of their church, members of their campus ministry? Like if you were talking to me as a campus minister, like what would you say to me that you would want to make sure I knew about, about supporting students in my ministry that are seeking mental wellness in their lives? I would say the first thing um, for a campus minister that I would suggest they do is go to their campus's counseling department and become best friends with the counselors, like know them, bring them donuts, bring them coffee, you know, like whatever it takes to be able to serve them helps you to be able to then make that connection and make them people you can, you can vouch for to the students who are coming to you and trust. So there's that. Um, educating your your staff, your youth volunteer, I mean, your, your young adult volunteers. If you're in the church, like your volunteers that work with the youth too, but specifically on a campus, any anybody you have in leadership needs to be educated in mental health first aid. So when knowing the signs of specific things like eating disorders, like cutting, like, um, you know, assault or, or any kind of self-harm really to all of those signs and knowing and it in a it doesn't have to be a very specific we don't need everybody to have a, a degree in psychology to be able to do this but knowing the things that are most common that happen in campus ministry in campus on campuses are going to be in your campus ministry too it can't not right because you've got kids on campus in your ministry so knowing what's going on in those lives and having the resource list and having your um, anybody in leadership know how to sort of assess very quickly and know then know like what the next steps are. So like a step-by-step, step, like you see this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And having it be very clear so that in a moment of, of chaos or panic, that there's no question on what needs to be done next. So that's what I would say, especially on a campus, because things can feel very... Um, like there are structures in place, there are places to go and ways to handle it, but I think not everybody knows it, has been my experience. I cannot, mm-hmm. they're like, what do I do with this? I feel mm-hmm. the same way in the public schools that I work at. Like we have a very clear structure, people still don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so I spent a lot of my time educating people in that way. And same thing with churches. Um, I also, this this would go for campuses and for churches, having a resource list and, and vetting some of those resources so that anybody, you know, if, if you have a family that's coming to you for, for counseling, wants to do family counseling, having one or two family counselors in your area. And that's the same deal in churches. Like you can go to psychology today, you can search it through your own zip code and, you know, people have their specialties and everything there and then start picking up the phone and calling. You're going to hit a lot of people that aren't going to call back. Yeah. So those aren't your people, right? So we move on to the next person, but anybody who's going to respond to your phone call and say, I'm trying to make a resource list for people in my community. Campuses need this too, because you can't just, if everybody on campus went to just the counseling center on yep. campus, no one would ever get there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes people need more than they're gonna be able to support in the counseling center. So um, having those options available and having a list of a couple, just a couple of people in each area, you know, like eating disorders, one or two people, those kind of things that you're most likely to come up against. In churches, I would also encourage them to have names and numbers of financial planners, um, people who deal with, who deal specifically with grief, especially, mm-hmm. you know, all of those, those kind of resources and have that available to anybody that comes in, but they have to be vetted first and they have to be where you're putting their name on a, on a list. Mm-hmm. Well, and something that you, you spoke to before was um, specifically around trauma 
in the church. And I know we have found it really helpful to be able to have some therapists that we've vetted that we can say, you know, this person has had major trauma caused to them by the church and that they they can speak the language of the church, but they understand that the church can do real harm, particularly around gender expression, sexual identity, um, and so that they can, you know, I've had to ask therapists, do you understand kind of, do you have a church background and are you 175% going to be fully supportive of someone who is expressing their sexual identity differently than you might, they might be, have been born or gender expression? Um, can you do both of those? Can you hold those both? Um, that's a, it's a really important piece of it. So, um, and, and I had not even thought about like grief and financial planning. Those are great. Even for college students, those are, you know, we've had students who have been cut off from parent support without much notice who have lost loved ones. And so that's a, that's a huge piece too. I think people underestimate too, the, the actual act of going to college causes grief. Yeah. Like you are leaving, you're not prepared. No one's prepared really for what it's going to look like to move away from home and live somewhere else for multiple months at a time, you know, and our, if your family is, is a family that it's no longer your home and you're visiting on breaks, which a lot of, you know, it depends on the language of your family, but like, what are you coming home to? Is it still your home? Do you still have a room? The loss of what you knew for so long is grief inducing. Mm-hmm. So we should be real about dealing with grief with people because you can have grief and still be happy. Yeah. You know, you can have do, be doing something amazing and exciting and still be grieving what you left behind. And it's just not, it's just not a, you know, people think of grief, they're like, oh, people who can't get out of bed or, you know, mm-hmm, have like clinical mm-hmm. impression. That's not what that is. Yeah. And, but again, that's part of the normalizing and the conversation and the, you know, like bringing in new students, like, what do we talk about? Like, are they, you know, do they feel like they have a place to talk to others about missing high school friends or being glad they're not around their high school friends? Right. <laughs> Right. Um, I remember one time asking a group of freshmen, how many of you are missing family, missing home? And, you know, probably 75% of the room. And I was like, how many of you are really just happy to not be at home right now? And there were like two people <laughs> that raised their hand and, and celebrating the fact that they were away. Mm-hmm. So that that is both both can be true. Right. right. <laughs> and at the same time, like we can miss mm-hmm. and be happy <laughs> that we're not mm-hmm. not at home. Well, tell us a little bit about the role specifically of folks who are supporting a loved one when it comes to things like mandated reporting and wellness checks and interventions. Like those are some words that the mental health you know, world throws around. Can you talk to us a little bit about what those mean and, and what our role is as, as folks that are walking alongside of friends and loved ones? Yes. So in Florida, um, it's important to know that any adult is a mandated reporter of any um, abuse, mental, physical, sexual, emotional, uh, of any child or vulnerable adult. And so it gets murky, right, when we're talking about other adults that are in full possession of their faculties, if you're not in a professional slash licensed state. Um so for me, I'm a mandated reporter of everything, right? You are a mandated reporter of everything. Um, other people, not so much, but it is always important to have someone you can connect to if you have questions about whether or not something that has happened needs to be reported. Um, and so there's, there's that. Those kind of things depend, they differ state to state too. And it's important to be aware of your state laws when it comes down to that kind of stuff. But moreover... When it comes to a question of whether or not someone can be um, can be safe 
if they're if they're in danger of hurting themselves or others in the state of Florida, we have the Baker Act. And that means that you can have somebody assessed by a law enforcement officer or a licensed professional, and they can be held in a facility for up to, you know, well, up to 72 hours, really, but however long the professionals think they need to be um, in order to be assessed and to be able to be let out safely. There's also much better results when somebody takes themselves to the hospital themselves, but offering to be that person to maybe go with them and sit with them at the emergency room and, you know, walk them through those questions and stuff so they don't feel alone in order to get that help if somebody feels just completely out of out of the ability to control themselves and keep themselves or others safe. Um, if there's ever a question, I encourage people to err on the side of keeping everybody safe, right? But I think it goes back to that question that we talked about earlier, where people feel like they need to be the ones to help people. And if they need to refer them or take them to a professional or to a facility to keep everybody safe in the moment, feel like they're maybe not doing their job or like, if I can keep it, if I can talk them down, then they're fine. And I'm, I'm a professional in the field and I can't talk everybody down. So I just, I want people to know that that's not, that's not a testament to who you are to this person or your abilities to support somebody. That means that person's current processing ability is not where it needs to be. And that's all that means, right? Like, that's it. Um, but when it comes to, and like I said, different states have different mandates for reporting and for what you have to tell people and there's abuse happening and, um, you know, felonies are being committed. Like there's lots of different things mm-hmm. in each state. So that's kind of hard to answer across the board. Um, but Florida does have some very specific requirements for adults when you're dealing with minors or vulnerable adults, um, which means anybody who is, yeah, anybody who is an at-risk community basically. Yeah. And and I think one of the things that you said at the very beginning of this answer is just it's our, especially our job for folks that work in a field where we're working with people to find out, to know, be educated. Um, sometimes you're put into a situation where it's a friend or a loved one and you're not, a, you know, you're another college student maybe listening to this right now and you don't have that role in someone's life professionally. So just you ask, I mean, it, you know, there's a non-emergency line most police departments have call, ask them. Um, you know, there are crisis hotlines you can call to find that information out. But if, if you do work with students, find it out now, <laughs> find it out. So, you know, so you're ready. Yeah. Um, I think that's really great you know, advice. Put it in your phone, have that information mm-hmm. available already Yeah. because then in the moment you're not panicking or making it about you or your desire, you know, it, it comes from a good place, right? Like your desire to help doesn't help anybody in the moment if you're mm. all over the place, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Drop a calm bomb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, in closing, Kelly, I want to ask you again, another question we've been asking all of our interviewers or interviewees, um, which is just kind of an, a general question. It may be something you've already spoken to, but just as an opportunity for you to to offer any like last closing thoughts or just to reemphasize something you've already said. Um, if there was one concept, one um, point that you could make sure that every one of our listeners um, listening right now understood about mental wellness, what would that be? Oh, that's, 
that's big because there's a lot. Um, if I had to boil it down to one, it would be the reminder that we're all individuals and all on our own journey. And that also means that we're all at different levels of understanding of what that means. So for instance, there could be somebody who doesn't necessarily know all the names of all their emotions. It doesn't mean they don't feel all of them. It means they don't know how to verbalize that, you know? Um, and just because someone isn't in the place that you are, doesn't make your place right or wrong. It just means we're all doing this on our own time. So there's that part of it. Um, but I think also then helping people to get connected with the people that can help them to do that and to develop those coping skills and um, that ability to handle high stress and high emotions. Getting people hooked up with the right people for that is is so important. Um, and that's really the only way that we're gonna get to a place where this is much more normalized for people and able to, yeah, and able to help people and able to help people help themselves is what mm -hmm. I really think mm -hmm. um, it comes down to for me. And I think that's, that's that piece that goes right back to the beginning, right? Not needing to be the one that fixes people, but being able to let people do their own journey and just kind of walk, walk next to them while they do it. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, we really appreciate your your wisdom, your heart, your commitment to work in this field and to um, walk alongside young people um, in life and to help give them the tools that they need. Um, if anything that um, you guys heard today, those of you out there listening, strikes a chord or you um, would love to hear more from Kelly, what's your YouTube channel? Is it easy to find? Just look up Kelly Mentor. Yep, it's Kelly R. Mentor. Okay, mm -hmm. so check that out. I-R-M-I-N-T-E-R. -E okay, and we'll also be on the um, podcast page. We'll have some links to contact information. So check her out. I'm sure there's, I know, I've watched some of them, tons of resources on her YouTube page. Um, and we just really appreciate your time, Kelly. Thanks for all you do up in the Jacksonville area. And um, we just wish all the blessings um, to you and your family. Thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah. being asked to do this. Of course. Take care.